HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we look at how we've adapted to a new normal during the pandemic. From the business of restauranteering and the new habits of composters to learning from the past to prepare for the future, we're exploring what came before and what lies ahead. People in charge of the collections and the acquisitions looked at me and were like, what the hell are you trying to sell me cookery for? These kids are so young and we're teaching them that it's okay to throw out all this food and we have to figure out a way to educate these students to make them, you know, lifelong environmentalists. Tune in to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts for the latest stories in the world of food. Welcome to Life is Not Really So Much of a Banquet. But that is the name of the show with your host Zara Tangora and Nicole Bailey. Sup, bro? How is Indy? It's great. Okay, good. Let's go. That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> like, we got it, right, Amanda? That sound good? Let's wrap this thing up. I guess that sounds good. Tell us. Tell us more. Yeah, yeah. That's. I feel like that's enough information for one week. I don't want to overload people. What, what's going on? Um, yeah, I mean, Midwest summers are nice. Um, people here do not wear masks, which mm. is very scary for someone who has been in New York for the last, well, 12 years, but for the last <laughs> m- several months. Yeah. Um, if you do wear a mask, people kind of look at you weird. It just kind of depends where you go. but um, They look at you weird for wearing a mask? Yeah. Interesting yeah, how it's been politicized. Is it? Do you think it's because they're generally like, you know, Fox News watchers or like they're deniers or like why do you think that is exactly? I mean, there's just no way to know. There's so many options. Like, I don't. It would be very pointless and reductive for me to try to be like they're all Fox News watchers. I just think sure, that sure. people here are very like driving big trucks and very much like. You know, I made my own way in the world, whatever, whatever. Right. 
I don't go to the doctor when I break my toe or something. I don't, I honestly have no idea. Well, there's not much you can do really for a broken toe, so that's fair, but I understand what you're saying. I would say, yeah, it's like, it seems to be like a pride issue, but okay. to be honest, that's just my hypothesis. I don't talk to those people because they're not wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't want to get your third spittle in your face, but you are obviously masked. Yeah, I am. Um, but I've been jogging around my suburb that I live in, um, and I wear a mask, but I don't wear it on my face because I literally encounter zero people because most people are at work during what, the week. What, do you week. wear it on your butt? No, I wear it on my face. It's just not covering my mouth. Got it. You know, now that I mention that, a butt mask? Good idea for farts. A fart catcher. Oh, I thought you meant to, like, smooth your butt skin. Oh, well... That's also a good idea. No, I was thinking about um, <laughs> like a fart trap. <laughs> a fart that filter. Is, there's definitely like fart trapping underwear that exists. Fart trapping underwear? Mm-hmm. So then the fart just stays in your underwear and then you just probably smell. No, it's like, it's like sweat wicking. Also, do you understand how gas works? It's not going to just sit there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't understand how gas works, actually. <laughs> Let's... And that brings us to today's topic, gas. Just kidding, but that's a good topic, actually, for the future. We have no topic today, once again. Yeah, deal with it. Deal with it. You're going to listen to our ramblings. (laughs) I told Dara when we decided to do this, I think that we're very interesting. So if you don't, then you just should stop listening to our podcast. Yeah. Virginia and uh, Kira and Paulina, our three listeners, stop listening now. Turn it off. Um, oh, yeah. My sister listened to it last week, too. Oh. Four listeners? Guys, this is great. We almost have enough to make a softball team. What do you say? Yeah. Uh, Sure. Okay. I played softball. Um, Me, too. Along with a couple other sports in high school, but uh, I wasn't. it wasn't really my sport. I wasn't great at it. I was pretty good at it, but I would be too nervous. So, like, I was good enough to start at second base, but once an actual game took place, I was too scared. And also, mm-hmm. like, the whole, like, sussing out the moment and making a play based on what's happening and what's going to happen next was complicated for me. I couldn't, like, figure it out. Right. So yeah. I was immediately taken off second base and put on the bench and occasionally mm-hmm. in right field. You know what that means, Nicole? I see that as a positive. It means that you're not manipulative. You're not thinking about how to strategize to the next move. You're just living, you're present. You're living the present. You're not trying to swindle anyone. So that makes me trust you more. (laughs) Or Uh I have a low IQ. Because I think IQ is based a lot on like game theory like that. Well, IQ is also apparently, and it makes a lot, not apparently, IQ is a white supremacist system anyway so 100 percent. it's actually also biased towards men right as all tests are is why that's why every man has that what is even a good iq people be like his iq is only 300 and i'm like that sounds high like what is the highest iq anyway i don't know all i know is that gina davis is in mensa and mensa is a really fucked up program i don't know that much about mensa except that's for smarties for smarty pantses well, you have to pass an IQ test to get in. You have to have a certain level of IQ. Um, there was a podcast called, I think, My my Year in Mensa, where this journalist gets into Mensa and proceeds to have very weird and kind of messed up interactions with them. 
And it just goes to show you that those kinds of clubs, first of all, are dwindling in popularity and whatever, but they're like just meaningless ways to make people feel like exclusive. And exclusivity is something that is tied directly to white supremacy. Yes, I mean, couldn't be any more white supremacist. Yeah, and also, also the golf club. No, thank you. Yeah, people use exclusivity as a hiring practice and to get into college. It's a real and dumb colleges way to are go. Exclusive and classist, and the world sucks. But I did want to touch on a prior point, which is that Gina Davis is also great at softball. She is great at softball, and that's why they made a league of their own, which is a biography about her being it's good Gina at softball. Davis's true story. Listen, yeah. why? Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing about softball that troubles me is that they made the ball bigger so that like women could hit it because they couldn't focus on the teeny tiny ball. However, is that it's why? A, yeah, and but it's like this giant ball that also women who typically have like smaller hands, which I think is a fair generalization to make. No, now have to pick up. Sorry, right. you're canceled. <laughs> I'm not canceled. Women tend to have smaller hands than men. And I'll be canceled for that. Put that on my grave. You know what it is? I have small hands, so that means everybody does. But yet you have this giant fucking ball you have to pick up. It's practically a basketball. I'm against softball in general. Yeah. I say no. Softball's canceled. It's also hard to pitch because it's so big. I know. The whole thing is ridiculous. You might as well just have a fucking volleyball. I prefer, I like to play catch, actually. It's my fun thing that I like to do, because I can throw really far. It's my oh, one athletic geez. skill. Wow, um, it'd be funny if you just, like, grab ball and you could throw it, like, really far, like, the, like, like Guinness Book far. No, I don't want to be famous. Um, <laughs> I want to be slightly better than average. But that's white exceptionalism, so I have to stop. <laughs> yeah. Just stay where but, you are. Below average. Yeah. <laughs> but I use a baseball because softballs, I, the last time I played with the softball, I was like, this is stupid. I hate it. Yeah, that's because of your tiny woman hands. <laughs> They're average size. It's because of your baby hands. You know, my issue is my hand, since everyone was dying to know, is that I have a fairly large palm and <laughs> smaller than average fingies. So mm. tiny or fingies and then large palm. I'm basically this, like a cartoon character. This is not interesting. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? Let's ask Virginia if she thinks it's interesting. Virginia, we have Virginia on the line. Yes, Zara, I think. Sorry, that's not a very that's nice not, impression. That's not how she talks. Um, not how she talks at all. She has a lovely voice. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Virginia, if you think that Zara is wrong and boring, just blink once and we'll be able to tell. <laughs> So what else was going on? Last night when I chatted with you, you were telling me a bit about something that I somehow had completely missed in our news cycle, which is about the fireworks situation in New York City. And I've since yeah, been reading so more about it. It's interesting. I, I feel like this is something that I wish I was in New York for, although because of the world connectedness we have from the World Wide Web, I guess I don't have to be there. Um, but... Before, like, right around when the protest started, fireworks started going off in my neighborhood. This is something that's perfectly normal. Like, fireworks start going off usually the last two weeks of June leading up to the 4th of July, maybe a little after the 4th of July, depending on what day it falls on. And 
Sure. It's just part of living in certain neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Um, typically, there are neighborhoods that have more black and brown people. Um, and whatever. It's just like a way of life in New York that I have always experienced and just don't really think much about. Yeah. Uh, but this year, I noticed personally, without ever thinking about it or saying anything, that they were going off a lot longer, a lot loud. They sounded like professional fireworks and they were going right. off much later into the night. Um, and I was telling my cousin who came to pick me up in Indiana, she spent the night and the fireworks actually like woke her from her sleep at like one in the morning, which normally it's just kind of like, you know, a couple of fizzly fireworks going off. Like yeah. these were like loud, booming fireworks going off. Like it sounded like the actual 4th of July fireworks. Um, Can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. yeah. I know that the fireworks situation is, it's it's pretty crazy, especially when you get woken up at like 3 or 5 a.m. in the morning. Is it happening in your neighborhood too, Amanda? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, That's you're crazy. In you're not, in the Manhattans. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know. And I, I had um, heard news of it happening, especially a lot of events in Harlem, but um, I, I never expected it to to get as big as it has gotten down here yeah it's it's definitely different than it has been before and people are people don't really know why people are coming up with all these theories people are saying that it's because the neighborhoods are gentrified and white people don't know that it's supposed to be like that and they're calling the cops more about it and um there's other people who think that it's actually um and a plan by like the fire department or the police department to sort of undermine these communities as a response to the protest or the black lives matter thing um and and you know they're not really sure like the rhyme or the reason well they know the reason they don't really know the methodology behind it um and it sounds like a conspiracy theory when you hear it but if but i heard about this from the podcast the tea with queen and jay um, which is two black women who live in the Bronx. Um, well, I think one of them lives in the Bronx. And, um, you know, I feel like if black people are telling me that it's not a conspiracy theory, then I'm going to listen to them, you know? So of I'm course, just curious yeah. to find out what's going to happen and what's going on. I don't know if we'll ever find out. It ju- it just is very strange. It seems, I was reading about it, obviously, you know, there's a centric a part, central part of the Black Lives Matter protests that weren't going on is about defunding the police and ending police violence and, you know, uh, hopefully abolishing the police, but definitely defunding them. And uh, our piece of shit mayor has said that he will, what, take a billion dollars from the police budget? Um, however, like, this is giving an excuse to put more... He's putting a task force together that's another excuse to get more officers and keep them on the streets... I don't know. I think that I would be inclined to believe that it's a setup. Um, Or I have another theory, which I had read about, and it could be in tandem with this, but that since coronavirus happened, the economy is crashing. There's a surplus of fireworks that nobody's been buying because there's not enough money and a lot of fireworks, um, like, things have been canceled this year. Mm-hmm. For, like, not congregating. So there's just a surplus surplus of commercial grade, like, you know, the good fireworks going around. So people are selling them for cheaper. So they're just more widely available than they have been because they just want to get rid of them. Which, mm-hmm. that also makes sense. However, I mean, thinking about it being a setup by the police to, you know, allow them to 
infiltrate themselves into arresting more black and brown people and, uh, you know, just being out there on the streets more, that sounds about on point to me. I mean, I believe that 100%. Um, but whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I could so... also see it being something like I heard about when protesting was going on, a bunch of, like, piece of shit, like, white dudes driving there? around. hand. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, no, I can. Okay. Uh, I heard so... when... when... Oh, no, go ahead. So there's a, a guy, he's, they, he's called Son of Baldwin. He's on Twitter and Instagram. I follow him. But he says, uh, my neighbors and I believe this is part of a coordinated attack on black and brown communities by government forces, an attack meant to disorient and destabilize the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. Um, and he says, in his, this is from a Vox article, in his view, the fireworks are part of a two-pronged effect to effort to promote sleep deprivation and to desensitize people to explosive noises in urban minority neighborhoods. Yeah, makes sense. I believe that 100%. Yeah, so he goes on to say just really quickly, sleep deprivation as a means to create confusion and stoke tensions between black and brown people and desensitization as a means to get so used to the sounds of firecrackers and other fireworks um, that it will... Were, it's meant to sound like a war zone because a war zone is what it's about to become. So, yeah, I think that a lot of people that I know that are saying that it's a conspiracy theory are white. And so, it. Do, I mean, I admit that it does sound like something I would say is a conspiracy theory. But now we know that we can't trust anyone really out there. So, it's just something that I have been, because I actually noticed it in my neighborhood. Like, something that it was, I was, it was actually like impacting my sleep as well and right i was just like huh i I didn't really think that much about it until people started talking about it including oprah magazine i guess (laughs) really i haven't heard it because i happen to live in a very um, very unfortunately very white uh and often racist leaning italian american neighborhood however i will say that i have some you know Italian-American, like, good old boy neighbors that started lighting off fireworks in the middle of the night in, like, May. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they've not been lighting off fireworks recently, but um, they were lighting them off in May. And uh, that was very annoying. But, yeah, I mean, I think that we should just continue to accept that there's a war uh, from white supremacists, from factions of the government, from the police department, um, on black and brown people in this country. There has been for over 400 years. It continues. You know, we're out there marching and protesting and people and activists are working really hard to get some changes made. And we should also just not forget, because I think it's easy to forget New York City more so than other places where you maybe don't see as many you know, militias or Trump supporters or whatever pushing back, but that, like, they don't want this. The police unions are are not cool with what's happening. They're not looking to just get defunded. They're not just, like, going to go along with this program. So we need to not forget that they'll do, they'll continue to do whatever they can to keep black and brown people oppressed and uh, in the same system that they've worked so hard to create for hundreds of years. Yes, exactly. I mean, we're probably preaching to the choir here, but um, basically it doesn't really matter if this is true or not. I mean, if it's true, that's really fucked up. Um, but the it's not the point to argue about whether or not it's true, even if it's not true. Yeah. Right. That doesn't mean that there's not millions of other ways in which police and governments are oppressing black and brown people. 
on purpose. Exactly. But what we should mention to anyone listening, because I know we do have some listeners who are definitely 100% on the same page as us. And I know we have other listeners who might be like in varying levels of being on the same page. Just a reminder, what we can do about this, no matter what the answer is to why it's happening, is not call the police. Yes, don't please call stop calling the police. The police. <laughs> if you hear loud fireworks in your neighborhood, don't call the police. Like, that's basically it. Don't ever call the police unless, I mean, I guess it's a, the most emergency of emergencies ever. If someone's holding a gun to your head. Um, but I bet yeah. you can't call 911 if someone's gun is to your head. I know. I know. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, You're I like, think Hold we on. I have point. to make a call. Um, excuse me. Hang on one second. I have to call the police. Don't call the police on people setting off fireworks. That's basically, or for almost any other reason. Yeah. Also, like what the police, first of all, aren't going to get there in time. They're going to target somebody else. Like what they're calling the police for fireworks is so much more damaging than calling 311, which we all know could lead nowhere. But, you know, call 311 if you're really upset. Or just accept the fact that you live in New York City and it's a fucking loud place and it gets crazy around the 4th of July and uh, use your use your voice and your um, energy elsewhere so where it's productive. You know yeah, you if you don't like it, move back to Michigan or Indiana exactly. where they also are shooting off fireworks in my neighborhood. <laughs> I think the real point we need to realize here is that fireworks are awesome but they're also <laughs> fucking dumb. They're awesome when they're done professionally. I do love watching a fireworks show, and I also think they're dumb. When I was in high school, we were, like, bad kids. I hung out. You know, we were we had a lot of fun, but, you know, we definitely caused a lot of trouble. And we were hanging out with a bunch of friends one night. It was, like, after the 4th of July, a couple days after. And my friends had, like, some really crazy fireworks, and they were setting them off in my friend's backyard. And the dog ran out and tipped over a birthday cake firework and they started shooting into the neighbor's house and they lit the neighbor's bushes on fire. Yeah. And I think one of them shot through like the window and then the cops and the fire department came and these dudes I was hanging out with, they had like a generic person they would always blame everything on. Like this poor kid, I didn't know who he was because these guys were older. But they're like, yeah, it was this kid and he just like ran off and yeah, he went that way. And then they just went after this poor kid, which is just... It was a real person? Yeah, everyone should just skip being a teenager and lock yourselves in a room for, like, eight years until it's safe to come out and you're not such a piece of human garbage anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I think that fireworks are pretty stupid, personally. Um, But... You're going to shoot your eye out. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to blow your fingers off. Yeah, and trust me, from someone who's almost lost several of their fingers, it's not cool to blow your fingers off. It sucks. It hurts. My fingers still hurt to this day, and um, I wish that I had never almost lost them. It's called the degloving. You don't want to be degloved, people. You no, degloving is when your skin gets all peeled off. Yeah, that's what happened. My skin got all peeled off my fingers, and that can happen from from fireworks too. Sure can. This so, show is brought to you by <laughs> big by fireworks. Fireworks. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is. Um, this occurred to me as we were talking about people not wearing masks. So my parents watch the news on TV every morning, which I personally hate. Um, but same scenes. They, I, there was a image of a man trying to go into a Walmart 
without a mask and the person at the Walmart, or I don't know if it was Walmart, a store, the person mm-hmm. at the store not letting him in because he wasn't wearing a mask and the man trying to force his way past the person um, mm. to get into the store without a mask on. Um, which leads me to an article that I read in, I believe it was Eater, talking about how service employees are now basically having to do that. They're going to have to enforce the mask wearing rule to a bunch of patrons who don't give a shit about them. (laughs) And that is pretty effed up. And it's not something that I really, it's something that I definitely had been thinking about. Um, And I'm actually surprised that they had already talked about it. But yeah, it's, incredibly unfair it's just i really i understand that we have to reopen the restaurants because otherwise they won't be able to exist but it just is going to be really hard on the staff and yeah it just doesn't really seem fair it's so yeah it's really complicated because as we've personally discussed before it's like this weird thing about opening restaurants because i think you know a lot of us are coming to the realization that restaurants don't really run right. They're largely toxic for the employees, but they're also amazing places and they're, you know, meeting places and gathering places for for people and wonderful and they can be wonderful places for employees too. But there's a lot of problems with restaurants that I think a lot of us in the industry are becoming more and more aware of and a lot of people already have been very aware of. So there's I that. don't think and that then, they're wonderful places for employees. I think that employees are overworked and underpaid and exploited. <laughs> I agree, but I also think that I'm gonna push back on that and I would you know, I think that people meet lifelong friends in restaurants. I think that you have extremely rich times and rich experiences, and I don't think that they work properly for the employees in terms of fairness, but I do think that restaurant employees, and I would assume that most people would say the same thing, including yourself, have had, like, very, very rich experiences being part of a restaurant community, and that obviously the structure of them needs to change, but, I mean, I don't know. I think that they can be a great place for for folks. Yeah, I mean, it's great to make friends, but I think a lot of the reason that you make such close bonds is because you're working under such intense circumstances. And, you know, that's just not... We've been taught, I think, in America and maybe the world under capitalism that that is how you're supposed to be. Like, you're supposed to just work yourself to death because that's hardworking is the right way to do it. And, like it's really hard and we'll get through it together. And the fact that it's hard makes it valuable. And at the end of the day, that's just not true and fair to the, like it's exploitive. And so it's just like a hundred percent, it's just really frustrating. And it's really frustrating because basically, um, one of the bars in Brooklyn pearls, I think it was pearls. They're not reopening right now. They're like, we are prioritizing, the health and safety of our staff over our business and they shouldn't have to make that decision like it shouldn't have to be i have to open my business or i have to endanger my and and in order to do that i have to endanger my staff like and then the staff is like then you can be like well the staff chose to come back but the staff has no choice like they have to eventually go back to work and so it's just a really shitty kind of situation that we've set up here where it there's just it's a lose-lose, basically. 
Well, yeah, the restaurant industry, I think, has revealed itself more than ever to be um, very, very flawed in many ways. But I also still have a very big part of myself that loves restaurants and sees their value for both the front and back of the house, not necessarily as they currently run uh, uh, for the front back of the house and for the patrons as well. But um, right, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about no, 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 back no. during we, COVID. We so. got off topic. We got off topic. But um, yeah, I think having to come back during coronavirus and put people now add a layer to their already like unreasonable um, job expectation is like unacceptable. Like, I think that's yeah. where I started with talking about, like, seeing how restaurants are already don't really function well. Is that, like, then to add on top of that being, like... But then again, like, yeah, like you said, what are people supposed to do? They need a job, you know, which is really where it would be helpful if there was a union or if anyone even thought the restaurant work was worthy enough to be considered, like, other jobs that had some kind of security, you know? If it was professionalized, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy because people are going to be working for way less money. And it's just, you're working for less money. You're working in a mask. You're, like, everything, every simple thing that you do normally, like, at work, like, trying to grab a water whenever you can, is going to be compounded. It's like, you're not going to be able to go to the bathroom and get water as easily. And it's just, on top of all of that, you're making significantly less money than you were and you have to tell these entitled people that refuse to wear masks you have to tell them to put their mask on which yeah we can all see devolving into just arguments i mean trying to talk to a drunk person and tell them basic normal stuff at the bar was already a problem so (laughs) trying to do that with somebody who just doesn't want to put their mask on is shouldn't be our job and no, it, it just seems be, it, it seems very stressful and bummery so i don't know i completely agree it's terrible and it's like what's the answer there you know what i mean like what is really yeah because like restaurants i guess like we just were benching or basically hanging on by this like thread anyway in terms of just sustainability of like even being able from like the actual functionality of them to stay open and like even produce not even a profit, but just enough to break even. And then just the lifestyle for everybody and the sanity of everybody who was working in them. You know, it was already, like, hanging on by such a thread. And to add this, I can't, I don't know, I can't see how they are going to operate. And, like, I see all these places, like, kind of reopening in New York, and they have just, like, all this outdoor seating, and, like, that's happening. I'm like, how is anyone going to even make enough money? There's, like, three tables out here, you know? Well, that's I the other know. thing. There's like the there's a bunch of infographics going around where they're like, please keep in mind if you're going to restaurants that you shouldn't linger on the patio because there's only three tables. But like people don't like all these people are all these infographics are being shared by restaurant employees that are sharing right. them with all their friends who are restaurant employees. So like I'm like right. I keep seeing them and I've definitely shared them. But I'm like, who's gonna read this? The only yeah. people that I know are people who get it for the most part, right. and so. Um, you know, there's already a big problem with people feeling extremely entitled and there's always like, I spent so much money here so that I am entitled to basically do whatever the hell I want. And so people definitely do not appreciate being told that they need to get up and they definitely appreciate sitting there for a hundred years 
while they're yeah. eating. You know what I mean? So. Oh yeah, it's gonna be tough. Which is it's so funny. Like I, for anyone who doesn't know, I have a small, a very small boutique, if you will, catering. Although we do big jobs, but um, just small in terms of I'm really the only employee, and then you know, people <laughs> like Nicole and other friends will help with actual events. But um, what does boutique actually mean? The word. A boutique. Um, actually, <laughs> Amanda, can you can you Webster's dictionary boutique? <laughs> Um, is that not just like a small um, establishment? I think so. Like, I think anything just, small. Anything small. So basically, my apartment, my uh, my bathroom is boutique. <laughs> <laughs> my hands are boutique. Oh, here we go. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Okay, so I have a definition here. Okay. Um, from Wikipedia. <laughs> Great, love it. A small store that sells stylish clothing, jewelry, magnets, or other usually luxury goods. Magnets? Okay, that's per- no, I do. I serve <laughs> magnets. That's all I make. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know if that was clear. I have a catering company, and we just serve edible magnets. Yeah. And yeah, they're delicious. Uh, they are hard to digest. Um, mm-hmm. You only need one, though, and then you're full. So, so yeah, I, it says it has to be clothes, and they have to be fashionable. So if you sell, like, non-fashionable clothes, you are not a boutique. Exactly. Well, either way, I have a small <laughs> catering company, and I had been wanting to get out of doing catering very much before this happened. Not because I don't I actually love the guests. It's just I wanted to kind of transition to doing something that was just less lugging. Catering is a lot of lugging stuff mm-hmm. around, and I guess just from being in restaurants before that for six, seven years, and then... Do you, you mean know, schlepping? I, I mean schlepping and lugging, both. Lugging and <laughs> schlepping, schlepping and lugging, being covered in sauce, like cleaning dishes. Yes. Like, I just wanted to do something different, and something that just used a different part of my brain, and, and just try something different. I'm going to transition in my life, so I was like, you know, I'm really looking forward to trying a different kind of job. And I did for a little bit, and it didn't work out, unfortunately, but... um 
anyway, so before this happened, I had been thinking about not wanting to really cater anymore. And then now I'm realizing that in terms of like producing food for other people to have, it, I actually feel good about it. You know what I mean? Not that it's not capitalist in nature because anything to really make money, but like it feels small and, and I get to pay people who do work for me a good wage. The people who I serve are 99.9% kind, loving, not demanding or rude. You know what I mean? And like, it's a very different experience from the restaurant where they feel entitled. Whereas like, again, I have had clients that haven't been great, but it's very rare that to not have a great client. And most people are just really thankful and grateful that you're at their house and that you're or dropping off food to them. They're sweet. Like, it's just, I'm feeling better about that now. And also knowing that I don't have to subject employees to doing anything they don't feel comfortable with or myself. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel better yeah. about it. Yeah, no, it's good. And you're going to people's houses. So there's an element there of control and like human decency that I think is upheld more than when people go out to eat where they just totally. lose. Every sense of human decency. I don't right. know why that is. <laughs> right. Because they don't think, like, while they are paying, like, a, you know, a really pretty good amount of money to have you come and be there, it's just a different exchange. And I would, rec- I just, I'm not just saying this to, to boast. I actually had a point, which is that I want to mention to anybody that is, like, thinking about what maybe they should be doing right now. If, like, you know, you're in the industry and maybe you don't have experience as a cook, but you have experience as a server or... Maybe, I'm sure you know somebody who's a chef or a cook. Like maybe just something to think about if you want to try to make some money and get through this transitional time where it's like scary. Like how am I going to make money, um, especially during the summer? Maybe think about trying to start up your own catering thing and bringing. You know, since restaurants are going to be really complicated, you know, bringing it home to other people. And if anybody out there is listening and wants to talk that through, please feel free to contact me. My yeah, phone number is. If you're is... not comfortable going into a bunch of strangers' houses, you can do drop off catering. Exactly. Yeah, you can 100%. Like, I think that's what a lot of my business is going to be this summer is just like doing drop off stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's something to think about because, you know, we all need to kind of make money. And I think that restaurant, like going back to restaurants, doesn't feel good for a lot of people for, re- for a variety of reasons, all of which are very valid. And uh, so, yeah, think about, think about a little catering. You think about it. Oh, I think about it literally all the time. (laughs) My brain is full. My brain is full. My brain was bad today because I had a hangover from drinking one and a half glasses of wine for some reason. Um, I don't know why that happened to me, but... It's because you're premenstrual. No, I'm I'm current. I'm mid menstrual, yo. I'm mid menstrual. I'm. Oh, like, I forgot. We synced up. It's so. I guess because we spent every moment of every day together. Um, yes. Because I just started my period today. Oh, congratulations! Welcome. Mine came a bit early this month. Um, why I don't I, know. I, yeah, I don't really. Mine. I'm usually like clockwork. I don't. I haven't been tracking it. I go in and out of tracking it. Um, but yeah, I think mine is pretty much. When it's supposed to be? Maybe you could be a period detective. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> so I immediately am like, okay, so we're doing like a film noir, but like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a woman, a mysterious woman comes to my detective office and she needs me to find solve. her period. It's lost. <laughs> find her period. So exactly. I'm just 
I'm just doing pregnancy tests. <laughs> exactly. The case of the missing period. Why? Are you menopausal? Are you pregnant? Do you have an infection? So basically you're like a, you're like a sleuth gynecologist. Oh, so I have to get my doctor, right? Doc, is that what it's called when you? <laughs> yes, you have, I have to get your to doctor. Get my, I have to get my PhD in mm-hmm. gynecology. <laughs> yes, exactly. In vagology. Um, get with it. So what have you been eating? Let's hear about that since this uh, periods always make me think of food. <laughs> Um, I just been eating what my parents are making and they have a six year old that they care for who was my nephew a lot of the time. So they kind of just, their lives are like Monday through Thursday. They just kind of work and then come home and throw something together and then they go down to the lake for the weekend. And so they spend most of their time down there like grilling and like just eating snacks and chips and cheese and crackers and chicken, barbecue mm. chicken and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so during the week, I've discovered, which I didn't really fully know, is that they eat fast food all the time. Like, they'll go to, like, last night we had Subway, and then... How was they... it? I was on the phone with you during your decision-making process. Can you just tell the audience what, what you got, and how how was it? Oh, it was just a turkey sub. Uh, turkey, cheese, lettuce, pickles, jalapenos. Um, it was just like a deli sandwich, basically. Yeah. Okay. Um... Tasted exactly like I remembered it tasting from the times when I was in high school and I ate at Subway and my sister was a sandwich artist there. <laughs> oh, is that what they're called? Sandwich artists? Yes. Okay. Um, uh... Yeah, so whatever. It was just a regular old sandwich. And then we had Domino's one day and then we had, I don't even know. Uh, tonight I'm making dinner. Oh, what went are you to making? Kroger. I'm making basically like a turkey taco bake with secret vegetables. <laughs> with secret vegetables? Well, the, I thought the six-year-old was coming over, and he's very picky. He's actually not coming over. But um, I, I'm putting a ton of mustard greens and a ton of diced bell pepper and jalapeno in, and tomatoes and onions in the actual taco bake. So okay, it's healthy-ish. Yeah, no, that sounds delicious. Yeah. I, uh... I've been, like, making myself food. Like, I had taken maybe, like, a three-week break off from making food because we were out all the time for a couple weeks just pretty much every day protesting. And I also was going through a breakup, and it just wasn't a time when I was interested in really making food. And I have started trying to make food again. And I'll, like, make something, and I have, like, a serving of it. And then I'm like, I don't want this anymore. (laughs) And, like, put it in the... In the freezer, I think it's because it's just, like, hot out, and the kind of things I'm used to making myself are, like, mushy soups and stews and stuff, so I'm like, okay, well, I can't really get excited about, like, another bowl of, like, kielbasa stew, (laughs) like, a kale (laughs) stew. No, well, that sounds pretty good, though. It was good. I put, like, kielbasa, because I had one in the freezer, um, kielbasa, kale, sauerkraut, and some rice, and, like, dill and potatoes and chicken stock and it was very it's very tasty and it had lots of veggies in it but I just was like mm, I don't want and now it's sitting in my in my fridge staring at me it's like eat me <laughs> I'm like I just want a quesadilla put it in the freezer I will but like my freezer as you know is like a <laughs> graveyard of my of foods that I've just been like that's the thing I uh about living alone and, and cooking for yourself is that 
well, for me at least, I get sick of things and I don't want to eat them more than once. It's yeah. very rare I, that like, I find something. There's like a cooking for single people book that's called Salad for One, which I always thought was <laughs> very funny title. <laughs> that's funny because salad is the easiest thing to make for one. If you're going to make something for one, it should be a salad. No, but it's not. You have a whole tomato, a whole onion, a whole... like. All, if you put all of that into one salad, it's going to be way too much. Well, I know that you don't put the whole thing. The thing about, okay, well, I guess maybe this is just a personal preference. Like, I'm not, a, I don't really like leftovers, but I will have the same salad, like, two days in a row or three days in a row. Or, you know what I mean? Like, last night I had a kale salad for dinner, and then I had a kale salad for lunch again today. It was, like, the same things I didn't use yesterday. Right. It just, yeah, you just have to, like, put the onion in the fridge that's half open and... That's true, but that's where I say everybody should have quart and pint containers in their house because that makes it everything very easy to store and stack. That's true. Yeah, that's a chef recommends tip. Pint or and just quart tin foil if you run out of those. That's true. I tried. Okay, question: Do you save plastic bags like Ziploc bags? I don't use Ziploc bags. Okay, I try to save them because I don't feel like you live through I the feel- depression. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> because I was born, I was 20 in the Great Depression. I also saved my toilet paper and my Q-tips. But um, no, no, I just feel and like your an tea asshole. Bags. Yeah, and my dental floss. Um, Ew. No, you should, I just you actually feel, shouldn't. The, the dentists don't recommend that. Well, I don't do any of that. But I do save Ziploc bags because I feel like an asshole just like throwing out a perfectly fine bag. But like... They stink. Like, they don't smell good. And then I just have this cabinet full of, like, smelly Ziploc bags. So I just threw a bunch of them out. And then I'm like, what are you... We're not supposed to recycle soft plastic, but I'm, I feel like I can't throw plastic in the garbage, even though I know recycling is a fraud in general. Yes, it is. Especially in New York. I know. God, the world, there's nowhere good to turn. The show is... Listen, recycling to... was never going to solve the problem, okay? That was all a scam. <laughs> oh, that's true. I forgot you love straws and you work for Big Plastic. Nicole works for Big Straw, everybody. She hates sea turtles. She loves straws. She Listen, told me this the other day. <laughs> you guys out there need to recycle soft plastics and straws and use paper straws. That's fine. You're being punished for using a paper straw because you are using a paper straw. I don't need Dude, to say anything. I will be silent. Paper straws are sh- are bullshit. And of all the problems facing the world right now, honestly, I feel like I'm going to move that to the top of my list. <laughs> I just feel like, and we probably have argued about this on air many times, but I just think if you think that getting a, getting rid of plastic straws is going to solve anything, that you don't have a fundamental understanding of how the environment works <laughs> and how we are destroying it. So do some That's research. There are bigger problems. Big companies are the ones destroying the earth. Their changes are the only things that's going to make significant impacts. Individual acts are minuscule and will do nothing or teeny tiny amounts. They will not be enough. Even if every single person on earth stopped using plastic straws, that would not change enough to reverse our greenhouse gas emissions. So... Right, so take it up with Jeff Bezos and fucking Bill Gates about how much you don't like plastic straws. Give them, them a shout. <laughs> yes, excuse me, Jeff Bezos, I have an issue with you. Ugh, I saw, God, they imagine? sent you the, the Twitter thing where they're like, it's just the name of the 
Twitter account is did Jeff Bezos decide to end world hunger today? Yes. It- <laughs> yep. The answer is it's always like, no. It's my favorite. It's like the same website as is the L train running today, which is a great, <laughs> a great website. That's really funny. Um, well, you know, guys, it's, it's interesting out there. I hope I, I've been seeing people's like Instagram feeds and stuff. What's going on? Oh, update. What's going on with occupying the, um... Oh, I, I don't know what the latest is. I can check right now, but, um, I am planning to go occupy tomorrow if they're still occupying. They're occupying, I think, until the budget deadline is July 1st. July 1st, right. 25th, so six more days. Um, Occupying City Hall. And if you can get down there and actually occupy, um, that is great. The reason behind it is making specific budgetary... um, accommodations for that basically reflect what people have been protesting in the black lives matter movement, making sure there's more funds allocated towards community, less towards police. Um, so that is what, uh, we are occupying for people are occupying for. I'm hoping to get down there and join. Um, and I've been reading a lot about like what is needed the most. Obviously, if you have anything to donate, like water, food, you know, any kind of supplies, even things like fucking cigarettes, batteries, like whatever, um, condoms, um, PPE. I think there's a lot of stuff down there already, but that, I mean, it, it could never hurt, but also I think people are just saying like the more people, more bodies down there. Right. More bodies. And then that way people can maybe like take a break, go home and shower. Exactly. Um, cool. Well, I'm glad to know we're occupying something once again. Um, yeah, it's I'm good. sad well, I'm not you know, there, but yeah, it's okay. I I was in Indian. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I just wanted to quickly say just on this tip before we get off of it that um, I was listening to somebody the other day discuss the difference between a protest and a demonstration, and um, a de- like a protest is like saying you know we won't stand for this anymore, but a demonstration, a protest is like saying you won't stand for it anymore and having a specific demand so like a strike you know what i mean incorporates like whereas like a demonstration is kind of just a a collection of people like organizing neither is wrong it's just it's good to have people actually like sitting out and doing that i mean like we're gonna stay here until this although you aren't necessarily taking your money away or your work away so it's still kind of a demonstration but even still it seems like potentially effective that that reminds me about on juneteenth about how the dock workers all shut down every single port on the west coast and oh that's awesome i didn't know that nobody talked about it on the news like they have those are like the most major ports in the united states and they shut down every single one of them so no one could none of the ships could come in or leave and the media didn't report on it at all of course not and (sighs) they're scared of workers having power you guys that's why you gotta fight the media yeah, so you gotta rise up and read about Mother Jones. There's also a great dollop episode about Mother Jones, but there's a lot out there you can read about her and talking about workers' rights and unionizing right. and stuff. If you like don't that. want to listen to two white men talk about Mother Jones, there's other so stuff. That's true. Um, I obviously am not occupying anything because my parents are delicate. Um, <laughs> but I did use my library. I got a the library card. Through slightly shady means, but I'm not going to say what they are because I don't want the library to revoke my card. <laughs> They're definitely 
Um, but so on the bright side, a lot of the, the big, um, books that everyone's trying to read right now were on hold for, you know, like I was 175th in line. So that's comforting. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, but I did manage to get, um, how we fight white supremacy by Akiba Solomon and Kenria Rankin. And I also got, um, creative community organizing a guide for rabble rousers, activists, and Quiet Lovers of Justice by C or Cy Khan. Um, oh, amazing. And it's got a forward by Angela Davis, so hopefully that's a good sign. Great. And yeah, because organizing, I think, is the next phase of yes. this whatever, at least for me. Like, that's my kind of trajectory, 100%. I think. I'm with you on that. And 100%. so I need to learn how to do that. Yeah, that's a very it's a very good point and a really good thing to share. And, like, I guess I was going to say before, just, like, a lot of people are kind of getting back to, like, posting their whatever shit on Instagram. And I don't know. I don't really care. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I think that, like, it's just important to remember that this is – this, uh, and I'm taking this directly from something I read online. I don't remember who said it, but it's been said a couple times. It's This isn't a moment. It's a movement, right? So not to say that you – should do or not do anything, I guess, with your social media, but just whatever you do, at least just continue to remember that this is lifelong work. Um, yeah. I mean, I am torn because cancel culture is pointless and harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, so Agreed. people, if people are starting to post regular stuff on their Instagrams, like that's them and that's where they're yeah, going to fall. Their prerogative. That's where the rocks are going to go or the marbles or whatever. What are they? That's where the, the chips, what's the, the chips? The chips, that's where the chips are going to fall. <laughs> the chips, the chips. You got to know it's... when to hold them and know when to, what's, what is, can to you die. You have to know when to hold them and you have to know when to die, which was uh, right before coronavirus in the case of Kenny Rogers. Oh, yes, he did. R.I.P. Um, so, yeah. So basically, you know, not everyone is going to do that. This is a movement, not a moment. And Right. I think the more comfortable we are with that, the less it's something I'm saying this to myself. Cause I get, it makes me very anxious to think about the fact that not everyone is going to keep doing this work, but they're definitely not. And it's not realistic to expect them to. So you're absolutely um, right. And I'm not giving them right. a path. Um, but getting angry because someone's posting about their birthday or whatever, like it's not worth it. It's not worth your pain. Like you can decide right. whether That's or not, not that point. means the friendship is over, but like, uh you know we are going to no. be doing the work the people that are doing the work will continue to do the work and it will be a small portion of the people that were posting about it that and that's just the way the cookie crumbles oh that's the way the cookie falls where they may you have to hold the chips near to your heart if you want to make a good cookie you heard it As here first folks the crow flies so does the days of our lives yeah i think that for all of us i think the less angry we can be i mean we should still like figure out a way to like we i don't think we should like ignore those people and you know there's maybe something to do besides just be like okay it's fine i don't know but i think that whatever makes us more anxious and more upset right now um that isn't sort of motivating us to help and do good is not the right thing Agreed. And I think that, yes, I do. And I just think that like, yeah, I think it's triggering uh, initially just to see like, wow, it really sucks. 
to know that people lose focus so and aren't like really yeah aren't committed to things and whatever but you're right like the the point should not be to like focus on it and or as white people especially to be like yelling at other white people about you need to do this or you need to do that really it's like I don't know I guess it's counterintuitive and the people we should focus our anger on where it belongs which is at the system and the government and the police and Joe Biden (laughs) (laughs) um Yeah, who my dad called an idiot the other day, and I was like, God bless you, Father. Um, Yeah, I think that, yeah. And also, to be perfectly honest, like, I don't think it's fair. I mean, whatever. Instagram is not how everyone, like, expresses what they're doing. People could be posting about their stupid outfit that they made during COVID out of fishnets or something. But they could be out doing a bunch of work that we don't know about. Like, who knows? I mean, maybe they don't. We don't know anything about anyone's life. Um, yeah, that's true. What I so, do know is that there. my ex, like, posted something that was so gross that I, I <laughs> it gave me the power to power to finally block him from my life. That's cool. Because yeah, I was I just think, like, this is grotesque. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually. I'm the the thing is, is like I think it's it's actually good because we do need to evaluate the friendships that we have and the faux friendships or the online friendships that we have yeah. and and think about why we have them in the first place and whether or not we should continue them. And I think that's what this time is also really good for. And it's making me really like reevaluate some, some actually some like closer, they're not maybe close anymore, but some formerly close friendships um, who are doing things that are, that I don't agree with. And I'm wondering what the next step for our friendship will be. And yeah. it's really hard, and it's it is hard. I was saying uh oh so, as a joke because I thought you were talking about me, but I know you're not. No, no, it's a yeah, it's a person um, I know who moved into Israel, Israeli occupied Palestine, and oh, whatever. Right. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, it's just stuff like that, and we need to do that. That's also part of the work is like thinking about those relationships and not just sort of like letting them continue and just not really doing or saying anything about it because Absolutely. it's easier. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that's going to be some uncomfortable work for me also coming up. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, good luck with all that. And Thanks, bye. Uh, <laughs> goodbye. No, it was really, it was great to chat with you. I miss you so much. I can't wait for you to come home. Although I'm glad I will come having home fun someday. with your family. Thank God. Everybody wish Nicole a great trip. And wish me luck getting over this crazy hangover with uh, <laughs> really no end in sight. I've taken like a full bottle of Tylenol. Call, call the hospital. Um, okay. Well, hasta la pasta. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.